Welcome into episode number 45 of the Level Flight Podcast. My name is Connor. Today I'm going to be joined by Brian as well. And we are here to preview training camp. Yes, training camp is just under a week away. We can't wait. Lots of stuff to talk about. In other news, Adam Lowry was named the captain of the Winnipeg Jets. You're going to hear our thoughts on that. What you'll also hear is us discussing how Declan Chisholm is unsigned. Because 20 minutes after we stopped recording, Declan Chisholm signed a two-way, one-year deal with the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, he still has to clear waivers. That's another thing to watch for in training camp is that battle for the the last few spots on the back end. But disregard everything we said about how Chisholm is unsigned because that changed earlier today. Uh, subscribe to us on YouTube if you haven't already. Leave a review on your podcast platform if you enjoyed. And thank you for listening and enjoy episode 45. This is Danny Jolkin, and you're listening to the Level Flight Podcast. Welcome into episode 45 of the Level Flight Podcast. I have got Brian with me here today. We're missing Elliot, but he should be back next week. Just a, a minor inconvenience on his part. Um, but Brian, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. Um, really starting to get back into the, whether I want to or not, the, the hockey mood because there's so much stuff coming out and so much to think about. And yeah, we got a lot planned for this episode. Yes, we do. Um, before we get into Jets talk, and there's a lot, like you said, to get to, I want to talk about the Blue Bombers uh, absolutely destroying the Saskatchewan Rough Riders in the Banjo Bowl. And if you were in attendance, you may have seen Brian uh, accepting the Bob Irving scholarship before the game. Uh, Brian, I'll just give you a few minutes to talk about that because I, I saw you there. I took a video. It seemed like a pretty cool experience. Yeah, it was... Uh... It was something I was very, very proud to accept and um, very, you know, I, I, I've i been very sort of winding journey-ish by t- explaining my, my path to get here. But I mean, it's true. Like, I mean, it's I'm essentially older than everyone in our grad class because um, it took me a bit to find my way back into, you know, this field. But, um, you know, yeah, I, I applied a few uh, about a month ago and yeah, I got that call and uh, it, it, accepting it on field at the Banjo Bowl from Mr. Irving himself uh, was quite the quite the experience, and I'm very honored to have been you know chosen and and for everyone who has actually you know reached out and said you know congratulations, thank you so much. Uh, it really means a lot to me. I really appreciate it. And Bob Irving is an absolute legend. Like oh, especially absolutely. for for us the the sports media landscape, the broadcasting, the all that stuff. I mean, he is just the epitome of what you're trying to be as a as a broadcaster, right? So that yeah, seemed like a really cool experience. Chat with him for about 10, 15 minutes beforehand too, as we were waiting for um, you know, the production team to get everything all set up mm. for us. And uh yeah, it was that was a great conversation. And 
um yeah it uh it was quite the experience and then it was followed up by one hell of a game <laughs> yeah that was one of the craziest games i've ever been to i mean six touchdowns in on six drives um and then they only punted on their last possession to end the game uh it was yeah ridiculous and it was like an absolute zoo the fans were going nuts uh the tailgate i heard a lot of people talking about the the tailgate before the game driving up to the game an hour before it was packed up and down i think that's bison that you come down there um just packed felt like i've been to nfl games before with the tailgate um and obviously nfl games there's like double the people but that's what like the feeling was is like there was so many people um everyone was cooking food having adult beverages um and waiting yeah, in line was... to meet chris strevler and waiting in line yeah and chris strevler one of those people that was just you know kicking back having fun having a laugh um but yeah that was that was an incredible day incredible win it was perfect it was perfect yeah. um let's get into the jets yesterday adam lowry was named the third captain in the since the jets moved back he's named the captain of the franchise uh what were your initial thoughts we kind of talked about it last week how it was down to lowry or morrissey and like either or wouldn't really shock us uh but if you have any more thoughts what 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 were they yeah like i my my thoughts mainly stem from reaction to it mm. i really don't think naming a captain especially a guy who's who's been here for so long and yeah he's not flashy yeah he's a he's a bottom six center and like he's not going to go out there and be your offensive force uh but what he is is someone who we've seen is you know very active in the community someone who's you know good in front of cameras to talk about things um i mean from the sounds of it he is you know an emotional leader already um mm. and i mean a lot of the you know, the idea of being a, a good player is sort of a prerequisite for also being a captain in the NHL. And in a lot of cases, that's what a lot of teams go with. Um, but I also think that the difference between naming a Josh Morrissey captain, who is, you know, the number one defenseman on this team, versus naming Lowry, who is a th third, fourth line center on this team, I right. think it's negligible. Like, I don't think there's really a difference in who you're naming there. Um, I, I don't think it signals like a direction or anything because let's be real. Lowry has been here through multiple directions, right? It's, it's, it's just, it's Adam Lowry. Like, but I, I think in terms of the person, um, I think that he's probably one of those guys that you're going to hear a lot about just being truly, uh, you know, active. And I know Blake Wheeler was always, uh, he always took pride in making sure he was out there and being with kids, being with, you know, you know, community groups. I know he Lowry is doing work with, uh, I think it's the Toba Foundation is what it's called. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And, you know, he does little initiatives with, you know, local companies. So like, that's the thing. Like, I feel like there's an overreaction to it just because not everyone uh, thinks that, you know, it's a good thing to name someone who's lower in the depth chart, the captain. I think it's just that difference is less of what matters as a captain because, if you have a guy who can rally the troops and yeah, he's not going to score 20 some odd goals for you, but if he goes out there and, you know, you know, gets guys going on the bench, whether it's, you know, getting at them in the dressing room, giving a big speech mm -hmm. or something, uh, or, you know, knowing when that's the thing. Lowry doesn't always like just come in and 
start just fighting everyone for the sake of fighting. He picked no. moments, and I think that's that's yeah. notable uh, because a lot of captains, uh, not all of them, but a, a lot of them, you know, sort of choose when they're going to sort of emotionally exert themselves on the ice. And I feel like uh, that's sort of what we're going to see with him. Yeah, and I said this to you guys yesterday when we were walking to class, and I was thinking about like tweeting it out, whatever. Um, I unless you play hockey for the Winnipeg Jets, this really doesn't matter. Like, sure, if if you're a huge Josh Morrissey fan and he's like your favorite player, he has been ever since they drafted him, and you're upset that he didn't get the captaincy because obviously that'd be a pretty cool thing for Josh Morrissey. Makes sense, but. Like you said, the people saying that this changes the direction of the franchise or they don't like the way that it like really it, it doesn't matter. Like if this is their on ice and off ice emotional leader, he's the captain, plain and simple. Like I, there's there's nothing else to that's why people were like, oh, Morrissey or Lowry. That's why it was down to those two, because Morrissey's like the best player, young kind of a leader on on the ice, off the ice. Lowry's the pure leader because you're not giving him the captain for on ice stuff, right? Like there's other third line centers in the league that have the captaincy. Um, and they're, they're the emotional leaders on their team. Like the Carolina hurricanes, Jordan Saul is their captain. He plays third line center for them. They're not suffering because of it. Like if, if Jacob Slavin was their captain, they wouldn't be, you know, two time cup winners, but whatever. Um, it really doesn't matter unless you're one of the 23 players on the Winnipeg Jets roster. Um, but yeah, I like it again. I was fine with Morrissey or Lowry. Um, Lowry's the leader. Cool. Moving on. Um, do we think this changes his deployment? I saw some people on Twitter saying like, uh Oh, throw Lowry's name in that uh, uh, name in the hat for second line center. Now. I, I don't think so. I think this is just purely, he's the captain now. He's, he's been the third line center forever and he will be for the next yeah. three years minimum. That's the thing. Like, there's still two guys that are very clearly ahead of him in the depth chart, probably three, maybe even four. Probably three. Yeah. Um, so it's, I, I don't think the captaincy does anything aside from no. just put a C on his chest and yeah. make him the frontward facing guy. Um, yeah. Like, to be honest with you, uh, I think deployment uh, for him is more of the constant. Because, mm -hmm. as you said, he's been third line center forever. Right. Yeah. So I, I don't think that changes at all. I agree with you there. Um, if you had to guess who the next captain would be, um, obviously Blake Wheeler had a pretty long shelf life as captain. Adam Lowry only has three years left on his contract. I'd be shocked if he only plays three years in Winnipeg, like three more years. Um, I yeah. would assume well, he's going to get how another. How old would he be at the end of his contract? 33 i believe because he's 30 now three years left so maybe another two three years um a guy who's six five and plays that physical i don't know if he's going to be able to play near to his 40s but it's also like um the way like it the unfortunate fact of the matter is is guys who play like him also their on ice play tends to suffer yes because yeah. if they're doing that they're slowing down and if they're slowing down they're missing their matchups or stuff like that. Yeah. Obviously that's in the future, but if you're the jets, you gotta, you gotta think, is this what's really, if is having a captain who's suffering in his play, is that worth keeping around for loyalty, which, which 
is something that we've discussed before and it's not necessarily out of character. Yes. Um, but to answer your question, uh, next? next captain, my heart leans Cole Perfetti. Really? Like, like th there's a thing wow. that with, with the way he carries himself, because also he, for the most part, he looks like a child. But he <laughs> right now. speaks very well, and I find yeah. that he carries himself very professionally. And uh, he was one of those guys, too, that they drafted, and they were raving about his character. Which also leads me to my next possibility, and that's probably someone that you're going to touch on. Um, is Rutger. One of the <laughs> that, that group with either Rutger or, uh, or Colby, or Colby Bar or Barlow. Yeah. Or, Someone like that. And so I, I feel like, but I feel like in terms of him being just a little bit older than them, when the captaincy comes due, it wouldn't shock me to see Cole Perfetti with the C on his chest, just because he just seems like he just, he takes everything very seriously without, I think, putting too much pressure on himself, but putting his team first. And I think that's when you heard him talk about when he got hurt, like you could mm -hmm. tell that his first thought was, the team, the team, the team. Like it's, yeah, yeah. So I, I honestly, I think that's where I'd be leaning. You? That's yeah. That's interesting. I I weren't expect. I wasn't expecting you to say Perfetti. I think he is like a dark horse to be next because he'll be yeah, like 24, 25 in the middle of his prime. They just drafted him, <laughs> developing him. Uh, but I think it's Rutger. I think it's kind of a lock. Although, let me think about this. Let me workshop because. Rutger will be what 22 he's 19 right now yeah are they gonna make Rutger captain at 22 but this is also I don't know <laughs> what like it's such this a is hypothetical Lowry's that we also don't years. know what Rutger's next several years look like as well yeah so. I mean I think next year starting next year he's with the Jets because he'll be he will have done two years with Michigan maybe even at the end of this season you see guys finish their college year and then join their their teams late. If the Jets trade everyone away at the deadline, um, Rutgers going to be playing Jets games down the stretch. But the only thing is, though, anyways. it wouldn't shock me to see Michigan make a run at the Frozen Four again. So that delays things. Right, right it does. But um, I think it's Rutger. I think he's holding it for Rutger. If if Lowry is the captain for the next five years and Rutgers what twenty four, I think that's because ever since Rutger was drafted, I mean the entire book on him was character leadership, all this um, on off ice stuff. And the Jets know that the Jets are aware of that. And everyone loves Rutger McGrory, uh, like a development camp. Everyone was taking photos with him, getting autographs. So I think that would be the right play for the community. I, I just <laughs> thought of someone that actually might be a, another dark horse, Mark Shifley. We're going to get to that. I actually, I, I want to <laughs> lead into that. Okay. But, Dylan Sandberg. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, because he'll be, yeah, 27, 28 ish. Yeah. So you're, yeah. you're going to see that. But it seems like they're starting to defer to him more in terms of being, you know, one of their, you know, main guys on the defensive group. Yeah. So I, I'd be talk curious about the to defensive see group when we, we are training camp. Yeah. But I have some thoughts. Um, I do also want to bring up, uh, so Sean Reynolds, which by the way, Sean, if for whatever reason you're listening to this, come on the show, we'd love to have you. Um, Absolutely. he brought up a very interesting point about Mr. Shifley. 
um, mm-hmm. and how there was a lot of talk that when Wheeler was named captain, should they have given it to a young Mark Shifley because he was the, the player of the future. Right. And then the, we get to the end of Wheeler's captaincy and he's not captain and mm-hmm. Lowry's captain for the next three years, at least. Yeah. So does this alter what uh, Shifley's sort of, you know, negotiations look like? Because, I mean, I, I I don't know if he even wanted it. Yeah. But in terms of like the framing of things where you have someone who was essentially being touted as the next captain of the Jets when Wheeler was named captain, you know, yeah. however many years ago. And we get to the end of that and so much has soured on him. Yeah. Like, could you uh, imagine, could you imagine the portion of Jets fans that despise Mark Shifley? If they named him captain yesterday, like Twitter would have absolutely blown up. It would have been, it would have been insane. I mean, the Shifley, like you said, like Sean Reynolds said, was always kind of the next in line. Um, it seemed it seemed like I I'm, I can't confirm that, but it seemed like he was the next captain, um, the future of the franchise type. Uh, he's the same age as Lowry. I believe they're both 30. So this isn't an age thing. Maybe it's a contract term thing. Um, Shifley was never even really considered, though, like it was Morrissey or Lowry. Right. And that was that was that. Well, that um, we know of, at least in the public eye. Yes, of course. But yeah. no one really said Shifley on the side. Uh, do they extend him? I don't know. Sean Reynolds and I think Scott Billick uh, were both saying that they think this is like the writing on the wall. Shifley, you know, negotiations aren't going well. He's probably done here. His future in Winnipeg, at least. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I do agree with the whole, it seemed like he was supposed to be the next captain and now we're here and he's not. Uh, And with his pending UFA status, that does raise a lot of questions. It does. Um, It's hard not to like dive into it and yeah start you know theorizing about what it all means and doing the whole like speculation yeah off screen there's actually a giant bulletin board with a bunch of thumbtacks put into like news articles (laughs) about shifley and the red string connecting them all yeah where did it go uh, for for all my uh always sunny in philadelphia fans out there uh it's effectively pepe sylvia but with mark shifley I've never watched the show, so I you're missing that out. that that joke was not intended for me. Yeah. Oh, uh, but it will be for some. It will be, yes. Um, so yeah, I we're gonna talk about DraftKings in a second here, but I'm gonna say if there was a betting favorite for the next captaincy, I'd say it's Rucker McGrory. Um now, Brian, I'll let you take it away before we get into get into training camp talk because we've got a lot to get to. Yeah. Um training camp for the NFL, however, is fully over. Everyone's back in action. Football is back in full swing, and now with another week of epic games. And who's got you covered on the action for every single one of them? DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. New customers can bet $5 on football and get $200 instantly in bonus bets. Nobody's missing out on the action this season. All DraftKings customers can take advantage of two new offers every day. Sorry. Every game day this September. Get in on the NFL uh, week two action with DraftKings Sportsbook. Download the app now and use code THPN to sign up. New customers can bet just $5 and take home 200 instantly in bonus bets. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code THPN. 
The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY or 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-QUADRUPLE-7 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario, see dkng.co slash football for eligibility. Terms and responsible gaming resources uh, are there for your availability. Uh, Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Training camp starts next week. I I can't wait. We finally are going to see some hockey players playing hockey. Um, and there's a lot to look for. If you are going to any of these practices, if you are, you know, the media is obviously going to be covering it, asking a lot of questions. There's going to be some interesting questions asked to, like we said, Mark Scheifele earlier, uh, Connor Hellebuck with their pending UFA status. Uh, but there are actually on ice, like deployment things that I don't know, I would say are more important to, to watch for, at least on the ice. Uh, and arguably the biggest one is the second line center role. I mean, we talked about Cole Perfetti earlier, Gabriel Velarde. Some people say Vladislav Nemestikov, uh, Adam Lowry with the C now. I mean, I, I don't know who's going to be the second line center. Uh, we talked last week a bit. You you kind of made the case for Perfetti. Where do you think they should start at training camp? So day one of training camp, line combinations are out. Do you think they should put Perfetti and Velarde on separate lines, both at center, and see which one is better in that spot? Um, or do you think they should just Perfetti down the middle, Velarde on his wing, let's see how it works, rip the Band-Aid off kind of thing? Velarde was on the wing most of last year for LA, right? And he moved down the middle, I believe, in the playoffs, and he was great. He was like good as a center as well. He was great at both center and wing. I would say... What you do is you start Perfetti like right off, right off the bat, purely because mm-hmm. you'll be able to tell fairly quickly if um, he's ready for this move uh, or if you're a little bit concerned about if uh, you know it's not necessarily the move for him. Mm-hmm. But I think you start with that, and then I, I think you rotate Velarde somewhere in the top six. Like I, I, yeah. I don't know if it's on the same line or maybe it's on, you know, Maybe it's you're up on the top line with him, but uh, yeah, I I think that the best thing to do for them would be to get Perfetti in that role quickly and see if in the first few you know practices, the first few preseason games, you see that and you go, okay, he's comfortable. We're gonna start the season with this, or you see it and you go, something just doesn't seem right. Let's move yeah. Gabe into the middle and see what happens. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. I wrote down here, I think Perfetti is like the high upside swing at center. Like if he fits at center and he meshes well, like your team is going to be better than if Velarde's at center. Um, and if it works, great. Then you have a second line center of the future. He's 21 years old or something, right? Um, if not, like we said, Velarde has played center at the NHL level before, as, as late as last year, as early as last year. And if you need to make that change because Perfetti's not performing, I don't think, I think it's an easier switch to move Velarde into the middle and throw him into the fire because he's done it before rather than starting with Velarde and then just, oh, we need to play Perfetti in the middle. Oh my God. Like that's just like, that screams panic to me where if you start with Perfetti, 
it's like you're actually trying something out and Velarde's the safer option to come in. Um, you talked about kind of the top six. I think the preseason games is where we'll get the first kind of look at it. But yeah. what is your ideal top six to start training camp, those first couple preseason games? How would you format the top six? Because some some people, you know, have Alex I follow in the top six or Nino Niederreiter or uh, Vladislav Nemesikov sneaks his way in there. Um, so yeah. how, how would you lay out the top six? Well, the fact of the matter is, I think we, we know who the top line center is. Yes. We're fairly certain of that. March and we know that Kyle Connor is going to be stapled to his wing. Yes. Which has been a very interesting combination in terms of defensive analytics the past couple of years, but carry on. In which case though, if, cause that's the thing I feel fairly certain it's not necessarily what I would do, but I'm also, I have to be realistic here so I can plan everything else out. Yeah. Um, so I think it's going to be top line Connor Shifley Velarde mm, for some defensive play. And then what I would do, mm-hmm. Nino Perfetti Ehlers. Okay. So I, yeah, I wrote down the same thing, but I flipped Velarde and Ehlers. So I just, I, I don't Connor, want Shifley, Ehlers, Ehlers with, top line. uh, Shifley and Connor. Yeah. I mean, I think Ehlers would perform better with yeah. someone who just has a better handle on, you know, getting to the pl- the softer areas, you know, being better, uh, you know, all around. Because when Ehlers has to become a defensive player that he isn't when he's playing with two guys that struggle defensively, the rest of his game suffers. Yeah. And that's yeah. where <clears throat> and that that's where like you see him get bumped down because he's forced to make these defensive assignments because his other line mates haven't. And then suddenly that's the one that costs him his spot in the top six. Um, but I think if you put him with Nino, especially another thing too, is if you put Nino with Perfetti, then suddenly it's a lot easier for Perfetti to slip into the you know assignments because Nino was very yeah. responsible. And uh, I think that another good thing with that is too, Perfetti is an incredible distributor. Yeah. And then you've got two guys who are very different types of shooters. Ehlers is an off the rush shooter. You're not mm-hmm. going to see him, you know, stuff in the front of the net. Um, Nino is going to bury most of his goals standing in the slaughter closer. Yeah. So you've got two different looks there. And then on the top line, you've got Kyle Connor, who can effectively score from anywhere. Yeah. Shifley, who just put up a 40 goal year, and Velarde, who does essentially everything right. Yeah, and I think that's probably what you're going to have to look at because Velarde is going to have a lot put on him defensively. Yeah, because he was one of the best defensive forwards in the league last year. I mean, he played for the LA Kings and they just yeah. breed defensive forwards. That's just what they do. <laughs> so it, it'll, it'll be a lot put on him. But I think that's better, though, than having three guys who can't really play defense. Because, like, listen, I love Nick Ehlers. He's probably my favorite player on the team still. Uh, defensively, it's just not there. He used to be better, and I think his game suffered when he had to go all offense there for a bit just to try and carry yeah. the rest of the... But I, I think that he's better suited with someone on the line who can play better defensively. And that's the thing. Cole Perfetti on the wing, one of the, just, I mean, in his small sample size, was one of the best defensive forwards on the Jets. Exactly. So down so, the middle, he might, there might be something there. Yeah, I, I think that's where you're where you have to look. And I think you said that you just had the two wingers flipped on the right side. 
Yeah, but you made some really good points. I mean, I might want to I might want to just roll with yours, but I think Nino in the top 6 has to be has to happen. I saw some people, yeah, Nemesikov, I follow. I think Nino provides an all-around game, a physical style that is kind of lacking in the top 6. Uh I had Connor Shifley Ehlers, Niederreiter Perfetti Velardi. Now, the Connor Shifley Ehlers line if deployed correctly could be great, like get all the offensive zone starts all the high leverage opportunities um, and just, they're just offense. Like that is what they're there for. Yeah. They're going to give up a ton behind them, but you pair that with Morrissey and DeMello and you've got a, a five man unit. That's like pumping out expected goals at a crazy rate. Um, bonus has done that in the past too. He, with his teams in Dallas used to load up the top line and then the, the, he would go one line bottom nine and everyone else would just, defense shut it down now i think the jets are too good in their bottom nine or middle six to just like shut it down and just let the top line cook but that that's definitely an option i i think i side more with you on this one i'm not gonna lie with velarde kind of balancing out connor and shifley's defensive inefficiencies um and then sliding ehlers down i think he'd work well with perfetti and nino one last thing i want to say about shifley and connor Actually, I wrote a piece uh, the other day looking at things to watch for uh, this upcoming season and Shifley and Connor's shooting regression, both going opposite ways, is definitely something yeah. to watch for. Cal Connor's career shooting percentage is like 16%, somewhere in that range. He shot like 11 last year and only scored 32 goals only. For Cal Connor, that's only... Well, he had that stretch uh, the beginning of the year that we had that whole conversation about it. Of, right. Is this an issue or not? And I was firmly on the side of it wasn't an issue. And then he came back and then ended up scoring thirty over 30 goals. Yeah, He was going to be like, if he just performed at his season average, he would have scored 50. Yeah. Yeah. He was on fire the rest of the year. Uh, Mark Shifley shot, I think, 20.5%. And his career number is somewhere in the 18 to 16 range or something. So he, and he scored 42 goals, of course. Um, there's a luck factor to it. Like Cal Connor could totally come out this year and shoot 11% again. But when he's done 15 or more percent for the last four years um, and scored 40 goals and all this stuff, and then he dips down to 11%, that's going to bounce back up. Like he's going to get back up to around the 40 goal mark. Shifley, again, been around the 18% range, uh, goes up to 20.5%. That's going to come back down. Um, th these are just things to watch for. Again, it's not. It's not set in stone. Shooting percentage is a a luck based stat. Like there's no skill to it. Um, like I don't think anyone would say Mark Shifley is a better sniper than Cal Connor, but he has a higher shooting percentage. It's just it's just luck, right? Um, yeah. And Cal Connor just shoots the puck more than anyone in the world. But that is something to watch for um, in the top six going into training camp, regular season, those first couple games. How is that shaking out? Is Cal Connor still snake bitten? Um, we touched on, you know, the top six centers and the second line center specifically. The fourth line center battle, I think, is kind of going under the radar. I want to get your thoughts on this. But the other day on Twitter, someone was kind of messaging me saying how I, I, I thought Nemesikov was a lock to be on the third line with Lowry and Ayafalo. Um, And then they brought to my attention that I, I hadn't even thought of this, but it's a good point that bonus loves playing Appleton with Lowry and Lowry loves playing with Appleton and Appleton was actually kind of sneaky good down the stretch last year. 
if they played Appleton, then Nemesikov is your fourth line center. And that's just a scenario that I haven't thought of like at all is Nemesikov being 4C. But it's it's seeming that way. I mean, if if Appleton starts training camp on Lowry's wing, uh, maybe they run Nemesikov at fourth line center and he gets, you know, like a minute's bump every time there's a penalty kill or defense's own drop. There might be the this might be the best fourth line the Jets have had in years. So Nemesikov getting extra minutes on that quote unquote fourth line. Uh, isn't that much of a bad thing, but between him, um, which kind of relies on Appleton being on the third line, David Gustafson, uh, Rasmus Kapari, where do you think that fourth line center battle shakes out? It feels, and this sucks because I've loved him as a player ever since I started watching. It feels like this is the last shot for Gustafson to really break into the lineup because he's what, 24 now? The Gus um, bus. Yeah, I think so. But by the just the sheer the sheer just nature of who they bring in, every single year they have too many centers that they value higher than him. Yeah, and he's better at center than he, that he is on the wing. Yep. And let's be real. I don't think there's a spot for him because if I mean, granted, they could also Nemesnikov played on the wing as well. Right. So like they could defer to the wing and then suddenly and then it's just the that you know extra like fourth line center role is just going to be between kupari and you know gus and maybe they give it to you know the benefit of the doubt to david gustafson because he's been there longer and they've they have more of a sample size of viewing him and kupari right. struggled last year so yeah it's it's tough because i mean i'm not willing to initially say like yes they obviously liked appleton with lowry but I don't know if you can reasonably look at the lines and say, oh, he should be above either an Ayafalo or an Amesnikov. Especially because yeah. Bonus loves Vlad Domestikov. That's the thing. That's what I'm hung up on. Because I'm like, is he really going to open his 4C on a Rick Bonus-led team? Like, because I, I don't let's know. be entirely honest here. I don't think the door is closed yet on Bonus saying, oh, I'm starting Domestikov at 2C. Yeah. And yeah. personally, I don't agree with that because no, uh, he played decently offensively down the stretch last year, but his career dictates that he is not an offensive player. He is a defensive yeah. shutdown guy who is better suited in your bottom six. Um, But his pure, you know, delight with how Nemestikov plays makes me think that he will be on that third line and getting bigger minutes and in a shutdown role with Lowry. And I'm thinking I uh, and then you yep. run Appleton, Barron, and one of uh, Kupari or Gustafson in the in the middle. Yeah, and then I think yeah, if, if Nemesikov ends up as four fourth line center somehow, maybe you move Kupari to the wing, and your fourth line is Barron, Nemesikov, Kupari. I don't yeah. know. There's there's a lot of options, but I lean more towards Nemesikov being on that third line with Lowry and I follow as a line that just shuts it down. Like that might be the best defensive third line the Jets have had in a long time. And that could really be valuable, especially for a Rick bonus led team. He can lean on his captain in, in the defensive zone, right. To be trustworthy with his minutes. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's definitely something to watch for, especially David Gustafson. 
the poor guys just had too many injuries. Um, and this it's might the be case it. for a lot of guys. Yeah. Um, let's move to the defense. We alluded to it earlier. I want to know if you think the defensive pairings will change at all because we've seen Morrissey DeMello, Dylan Pionk, Sandberg Schmidt, uh, especially that top four. We've seen that the last two, three years. Uh, do you think the top four will change at all? Or you think they're just going to roll with, I think Morrissey DeMello is pretty locked in, but yeah, Dylan Pionk, maybe. No, the issue that I have is that the, the problem I have is Neil Pionk. Um, because regardless of who he's with, he tanks that, that pairing. Because let's be clear over the last couple years, when they've been together, Dylan and Schmidt have been outstanding together, but they don't play together because that means then you staple Neil Pionk to Dylan Sandberg. And then suddenly Sandberg's in a world of hurt. I have, um, I have statistics for Sandberg Pionk. They had a 35% expected gold share in 85 even strength minutes last year. Like that is horrific. That is terrible. So but that can't everything be else apparent. though. Because that's the thing. I, I think if I recall correctly, Sandberg Schmidt was decent. Like they broke yes. even, I think. Sandberg Schmidt, um this that my take is basically what they need to do with the defense pairings is play Sandberg Schmidt as the second pairing. That's the only really upgrade they can do. Because Sandberg Schmidt in 325 minutes of even strength play, 60.5% expected goals percentage, 58% Corsi, outscored their opponents 14 to 9. Yeah. This is all money puck. Um, they were great in, in their third line and in third pairing, like kind of sheltered role, I guess. But if they can replicate, get to even 55% expected goal share as the second pairing, that is a huge off. upgrade. Yeah, a huge upgrade. And maybe Pionk will benefit from sheltered minutes, right? I mean, maybe probably, getting his confidence thing, back like, a bit. If you're not playing against you know the rest of the team's best, yeah, then suddenly you can just go back to what you are comfortable with, and that's moving the puck and not turning it over. <laughs> and last year it was it was Morrissey DeMello that were the offensive, like they Morrissey especially. Obviously he had the crazy uh, impressive offensive season and DeMello was kind of the stay at home to keep him in check kind of thing. But yeah. Dylan Pionk, if I recall correctly, was kind of leaned on as the defensive pairing. Yeah. Like, there's an offensive zone. Frightening. With the, if there's an offensive zone draw after an icing and all three defensive pairings were um, good to go, like Morrissey and DeMello would be over the boards. Like they're the offensive, they're getting that, that opportunity and Dylan Pionk were, I, I haven't checked the defensive zone start stats, so I could be totally wrong. That's that's just what I remember that they were kind of leaned on in that role, and I don't think that's the right role for for Neil. I've Pionk. I've got a, a hot take here. Someone with the first or last name Dylan will be on all three pairings. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> There's too many Dylans. I too many Dylans. Can't keep track. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I think. Dylan Sandberg and Nate Schmidt should be the second pairing. That's that's yeah. I think the only upgrade they can really make because if you shuffle, there's the bottom four there with Dylan Pionk, Sandberg Schmidt. If you shuffle either name either way, one of the pairings is getting tanked. And yeah. somehow Brendan Dylan has actually posted pretty good numbers with Neil Pionk. 
And I think that line could really benefit from sheltered minutes. Yeah. So if you, if Sandberg Schmidt, if Sandberg takes another step forward next year, Nate Schmidt was great last year. He had a bounce back year. I think they can handle second, second pairing minutes, second pairing matchups. Um, and they proved it last year with the the stats I mentioned. They were incredible in their so third, third pairing. Same pairings, different deployment is the easiest way to put yes. that. Yes, absolutely. Um, I think that's what they should do. Do I think they do it? Absolutely not. I think they are going to roll with the exact same pairings from last year in the exact same deployment. Um, I yeah. I don't know what it would take for Dylan Samrick to move up the lineup over a Brendan Dylan because he played great last year. Uh, what I'm scared of is the continued rotation of Logan Stanley and Dylan Sandberg, because that was a thing last year. Yeah. Stanley, when he was healthy, because he was hurt quite a bit, but when he was healthy, they, they rotated him in a fair bit. I'm not as concerned because if that was going to be the case, because I'm sure they run it through, you know, you know, the coaching staff and everything. Yeah. I don't think they would have given Sandberg the raise and the, the show me deal if they weren't going to keep him in the lineup. Yeah, that's the I thing. Mean, the, the it was, two, it was a two-year deal, right? Two-year deal, one point four million per. So that it sounds like a, yeah, I don't know. We liked what you did this year. Show yeah. us you can do it for the next two years, and we'll give you a longer-term deal. And if yeah. you're doing that, you're not sitting him in favor of Logan Stanley. Yeah, Stanley. I don't know. I don't have a read on that because you talk to certain people. You think or they think that he's getting sent down. And he's going to be on waivers. You talk to other people, like what I just brought up, I guess you talk to me. You think you're, they're scared that Sandberg and Stanley are going to keep rotating in and out of the lineup. I don't really know uh, because they're going to lose someone to waivers. I think they've accepted that at this point. Uh, and then there's the whole thing that Logan Stanley might go unclaimed. I don't buy that. I think someone would take a shot on him. Um, but there's they're going to lose someone. And I think they've just... Well, Declan Chisholm actually right now is unsigned so yeah going on there but he's he's still in rfa still unsigned so Um, that's probably behind the scenes going okay so what's your plan with me then in training camp because if he's essentially being told that you're not getting that that shot at staying up uh then why would he sign yeah yeah no it's it's valid from declan chisholm's point of view because ahl all-star last year has put in the time in the in the farm system and has impressed he deserves some some nhl minutes or a shot to make the roster at least right but all six of those spots seem pretty sewn up um i do want to ask who is your dark horse to make an impression at training camp this doesn't have to be like a breakout pick but just someone you think not enough people are talking about uh because a lot of focus on the second line center a lot of focus on the fourth line center Shifley and Hellebuck. Is there someone kind of flying under the radar that you think could make an impression? See, I'm going to give you one on the forwards and one on the defensive group on the forwards. I actually think that I don't know if he's going to be flashy enough to do this, but I think that not enough people watch Alex Iafalo and then suddenly they're going to see, because he's at the very least, he is a very hard worker. I went back and watched some video of him and he just, he's going to try and get you that puck regardless of what happens. He's a, he's a very, you know, his work ethic is among the best out there. And I feel like that's going to stand out to a lot of people. I feel like work ethic is something that stands out most in training camp. Cause you see these guys going 
you know, all in. You can tell the guys who have their roster spots already penciled in because they're not, you can tell they're not giving it their all. Right. Um, but these guys that are playing lower in the lineup, they're going to give you 100% all the time. Absolutely. And I think that's on the forward group, you're going to see that. I don't think it's going to change his deployment at all. Um, but I think in terms of just recognition alone, you're going to see that. And then defensively, I'm going to say Declan Chisholm. If he actually does uh-huh. get, get signed and comes to camp, what he's going to do is he's going to show everyone that I deserve to be up here, which would then put everyone else on his side when uh, if he gets put on waivers and claimed and then suddenly uh we've we've got another uh you know oh we've lost someone because they didn't have a spot because of the, the roster logjam i feel like there'd be a, a bigger frustration from people if declan chisholm uh who ne- literally I, he's had what like five nhl games since he was drafted yeah i don't, um, I don't even think five i think it's been like two or something so Holy i feel shit. like there'd be a bigger frustration there because logan two. stanley's had his shot Yes. If you put Logan Stanley on waivers and he gets claimed, that's a positive for you because let's, let's be clear. Like he's not going to be getting any better. He's, he's at the age where you've essentially, you're playing how you're going to play. No one's changing how you play and how he plays is not conducive for how, you know, the NHL is going. You have to be fast and you have to move the puck. Well, something that he struggles with. So at that point, you hope that the Jets bet on the one who has shown the upside in the AHL and hasn't got the shot and is out of options. Yeah. Uh, because like, let's be, let's be real. Easy answer would be uh Billy Hanala because every yeah. year it's, is, is this his year that he beats someone out? Probably not because let's be clear. Like there's no one that you're, unless you trade one of the bad contracts in camp or you decide I'm waiving a bad contract and sending them down and burying it, uh, which both of which seem highly unlikely. There's right. no spots. There's, there's absolutely no spot no. for anyone. He's, he is a waiver eligibility casualty and he, sorry, he has been the last couple of years. He is even more this year because other guys lost that waiver eligibility and he still has it. So he's going to get sent down with nobody able to claim him. Uh, and then they'll have to make a decision between Chisholm and Stanley. But my dork, dark horse, dork horse, who's the dorkiest you player at camp? <laughs> yeah. Who's the dorkiest player at camp? No, my dark horse. Um, and this is someone, obviously, it's not a breakout pick. Uh, I just don't think enough people are talking about him. And because of the injury issues last season, a lot of people have soured on this player. Um, but I think he's going to make some very flashy plays that remind people that he's one of the most dynamic wingers on this team. And that's Nikolai Ehlers. I think a lot of people, a certain section of Jets fans have given up on Ehlers. He's too injury prone. He's too soft, et cetera, et cetera. He's going to make some plays at train camp where the crowd is ooing and aahing. Um, Cause that's just who he is. He's the most dynamic winger on this te- player on this team. Screw winger center forward. He's the most dynamic player on this team when he's on. Uh, and I think he's going to have a great camp. He's 27. He's in the middle of his prime. And I think he's he, he's going to be fully healthy finally after a full offseason. Remember, he came back for that one playoff game. Uh, but I think he's he's ready. He's dynamic. He's going to make some crazy plays. And it's going to be fun to watch. And then people are going to remember 
oh, right, this guy's super dynamic. And yeah, he was hurt last year, but when he's in the lineup, he's like an amazing hockey player. Uh, obviously, it's not a breakout pick. Everyone knows that no. Nikolai Ehlers is, is good at hockey. This isn't like, oh, he's going to come out of nowhere. I just think he's going to remind people who he is. Um, looking ahead to the season, I don't know if you watched the the Rick Bonus interview with Sarah Orleski on the Jets Twitter, um, but basically Bonus in that one alluded to how it might be, you know, it's the second year in this system for a lot of these players, right? They're bringing back mainly the same team, but the LA Kings players that they're bringing back, it's their first year in a bonus system. And he said, you know, they're going to have to spend a little bit more time getting them up to speed in training camp, getting to know the system. Do you think we could see a slow start from a Velarde or an Ayafalo as they learn the new system? This is like, they have training camp and preseason, obviously, but into the regular, you think that could bleed into the regular season maybe? Um, I feel like if it's going to with anyone, it's Ayafalo because he's played in the same system for the last while. True. Velarde's younger, uh, and I feel like younger players are easy, uh, more easily adapted into a different system just because, especially with Velarde, is how he plays his game. Is It's all about you know defense to offense and just being structured. And mm-hmm. Everyone plays defense is kind of the, the thing that Bonus was you know preaching last year. And yeah. I feel like he'll fit in easier. But I feel like an eye of Fallow who's played in the same system for the last what five six years because he made his debut with the kings a little bit later um yep. but still like he's played for the kings uh for you know the bulk of his career and then changing teams to a different coach different system mm-hmm. you might see that in kapari i think that's a wild card because he struggled does he even last play year. yeah does he even play no, no, uh, no. he struggled yeah. <laughs> last year maybe this system allows him to be a little bit more you know structured and that helps him i don't know but i feel like if you're looking at the three of them i think afl is the one that might you know, have more of an adjustment period just because of his age. Yeah, I agree with you there. I mean, Kapari, like you said, maybe more structure will help him. Maybe playing more free will help him. We all know the talent is there. He's a former first round pick. Maybe him being on the fourth line and just being able to do whatever he wants in a super, super sheltered role will help him kind of get some momentum going into the season. I don't really know there. Velarde is interesting because He's played with a lot. He's played with Ayafalo a ton in LA. Like they played together on the same line a ton. And he's, like we said, probably going to go to the top line or the top six at minimum with more skilled players, Connor, Shifley, um, Ehlers, potentially Perfetti. Does his defensive numbers dip a little bit? Uh, We all know like the 30 goal potential is there, right? But it's the all around nature of his game that is really the most impressive part and i'm more watching for the defensive numbers to start because if first four games of the season if connor shifley velardi are just getting shelled in their own zone then you got to change something up uh and velardi's all-around game isn't really helping them but we'll see uh i i, I think they'll all be fine but like you said i agree with the i follow take um and i think that's all we've got I mean, I, I was going to ask about the Young Stars tournament because that starts Friday against, who do they play? It's either Edmonton, Calgary, or Vancouver. I don't know. One of the yeah. three teams, they play 6 o'clock Friday, then they play Sunday, then they play Monday. And then I believe training camp starts on the Tuesday, the 19th. Yeah. Um, but if you are watching Young Stars, because I know a lot of people don't watch it, but 
what are you watching for? Which rookies, which players are you keeping an eye on? Um, we said before that we're both probably going to say Chaz Lucius for this question. Just basically, yes. is he healthy? Is he healthy? Uh, how does he look? Especially after lighting up the WHL for six games last year. But who who else besides Lucius? Because Lucius is the obvious, uh, is he healthy answer. Brad Lambert. Um, Brad Lambert. I want to see how... That's the thing too, is I feel like a lot of what a young player is, especially the type of player he is, a lot of what happens in their first few years is the teams say, all right, listen, you're skilled. Put on a couple pounds. Cause yeah. let's, let's be real. Brad Lambert is not physically imposing in any sense of the word. Um, but I, I think in terms of him being a skill winger and potentially a center that's the thing we like there was that's still an opportunity for him i don't i don't think it's as like as plausible as you know it kind of looks granted it, who knows like the, the center group for the jets could look vastly different in the next it couple could. years right but like if you're looking at him a couple pounds of muscle would be good at the very least just for him to actually insert himself more into the possession battle yeah. Um, I think you look at him physically when he comes into camp this year, uh, especially into the Young Stars. If he looks like he is better than everyone at the Young Stars tournament, suddenly you start wondering, okay, what's he going to look like now against you know the rest of the NHL players coming into camp? So I'm curious to see how his summer went because um, mm -hmm. in the last little bit of the Memorial Cup, he struggled again. Yeah. So does that discourage him? Cause he seems like a very confidence based player. Like when he's, when he's on, he's on, but when he's off, he disappears. Yeah. And so I, I'm very interested to see if that's sort of what we see in the young stars. Like, is he going to be that guy who you're, you know, when he's on the ice because like, Oh, who's the guy? Oh, that's, that's Lambert. Yeah. 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 He's making, making the flashy plays, the big plays, the, the skating is there. The move to center really, uh, revitalized his season in a sense like he was playing great before that but the move to center he just absolutely took off and it'll be interesting because they're probably going to play him at center in this tournament i'd hope they do and i want to see how he makes reads from the center position against obviously other like whl level talent like this isn't like he's playing against Connor mcdavid but um it's it's still it's still hockey it's 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 fun to watch um elias salamonson is a name i want to bring up because we had Scott Wheeler on the podcast a few weeks ago. He was talking about how the Skleftia staff has been raving about how good he was last year, uh, how much faith they had in him, or lack of faith, and then that turned into faith in him because they, they didn't think he'd be this good. And then he ended up being one of their best defensemen. Um, yeah. The goaltenders, Dom DiVincentis and Thomas Milich, I'm really excited to watch boy. because... Dom. Dom. Dom DiVincentis. Yeah, no, the goalies very interesting because um, they're both going to get a full game at least. Um, and then it's like Milich is older. They're both have had crazy success at the levels they've played at. And it, it's going to be fun to watch. Uh, and then lastly, I mean, we have to bring him up. Danny Shilkin. I mean, come yeah. on. Friend of the pod. Friend of the pod. <laughs> Friend of the pod, Danny Shilkin. I mean, actually though, from not because he was on the podcast, but, he was crazy impressive at rookie camp 
last year's training camp, he made a ton of amazing plays that, you know, the crowd was, wow, that who is that? Who's that guy? Because they no one knows, right? They just drafted yeah. him. Um, but now he's starting to gain some steam. People are recognizing the name. And I think he's going to have a great training camp. The Young Stars Tournament. Some people are starting to put him up there with Lambert and Lucius and all those names, right? And he's pushing for that because he's been that good. Uh, and in the Young Stars Tournament, he could just come out and completely take over, be the best forward on the team. Um, and we, we didn't even talk about Colby Barlow, too. The most recent first-round pick is going to be there yeah. playing for the Jets as well. There's a lot of names. Nikita Chibrikov is another name. He looked dynamic at rookie camp um, or development camp. There's a lot of names, and it's going to be fun to watch. This is the best team the Jets have ever sent to the Young Stars, or the most interesting team they've ever sent to the Young Stars tournament. There's so much talent on this roster, and I can't wait to watch. Uh, that starts Friday. You'll be hearing this Thursday, so it starts tomorrow when you're hearing us say this. Yeah, um, yeah. so tune into that. It's on the Jets' website, the games are. Uh, so very easy to just throw it on the on the website and watch it. You don't need some kind of subscription to any bogus website or anything like that um but yeah um unless you have anything else on you know training camp lowry's captaincy youngsters tournament uh that's all i've got yeah no it's that about wraps it up all right training camp does start next week like we said uh tuesday you know look for us we'll be there um come up to us say hi uh this is absolutely the best time of the year fall hockey's back um school we're busy but like elliot's not here um but we're trying our best pumping out content the season is about to get underway um if you're watching this on youtube make sure you subscribe uh, our yes. subscriber count has been climbing a bit and we want to get that up so keep hammering the subscribe button uh if you're listening through podcasts make sure you leave a review uh if you enjoyed of course and yeah thank you for listening to episode 45 we will catch you next week with some early takeaways to training camp and maybe a little bit more season preview. And maybe content. a quiz. And maybe a quiz, right? I do have a quiz ready, but I'm waiting for both of them to be here. Um, so next week, if all three of the guys are here, we're running the quiz. Um, but yeah, thank you for listening, and we will catch you next week. See ya. You're listening to the Level Flight Podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. 